Good evening, everyone. My name is Teresa Marino. I'm on the Beach Catholic team uh, here in Long Beach, and I also teach middle school religion at Long Beach Catholic. Uh, it's truly an honor to be asked to be with you uh, next to Jesus and uh, with all of you ladies here tonight. I wonder if you would just join me in a Hail Mary before I start. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Thank you. So as I mentioned, I'm, uh, I work down here in Long Beach in several capacities, and one of those capacities is that I'm um, a musician. I've played in Catholic churches for 10 years uh, all around Long Island, and so uh, this is a different posture for me for a holy hour. Usually I'm way in the back uh, in the choir loft, so the view's a lot different. And. Um, because I've spent so much time um, in adoration from that perspective, there's one thing um, that comes up a lot in my prayer um, from being so far away from the action here, and that question which kind of echoes always in my heart as I'm uh, praying from the back is, why does God make himself so small? <laughs> Did you ever <laughs> wonder that? Um, like, why doesn't he show himself differently, more powerfully? We're all here to see him tonight. That's what adoration is. Um, but if it wasn't for the monstrance, this gold vessel, you probably couldn't see him at all from where you're sitting. I know I can't from the choir loft. Well, according to lots of places in the Bible, as the theologians say, uh, it's because we for sure could not handle God in his fullness if he came as he truly is. This is his true presence, but... Um, in the book of Exodus, it says, God the Father tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Yikes. <laughs> Some of the other Old Testament prophets turn their back to God when he comes close, or they veil their faces. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus does show the apostles a glimpse of his glory at the transfiguration. The account says this, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. A voice came from the cloud. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. I think at least in part, the point of the Eucharist is this. God doesn't want us to die or become terrified in his presence. Thank God for that. Um, he doesn't care about being flashy, even though he could be. He cares about being approachable. He cares about being receivable. At least while we're on earth, looking directly at God's holiness would be like looking into the sun for too long. He knows that. So out of love for us, God adjusts his brightness like we adjust the brightness on our phones so that we can see him at a level that's comfortable to our eyes. He does this at great risk to himself, if you think about it, because the obvious danger there is that he'll go unnoticed altogether, as he often does. It's interesting to compare the way God chooses to be honored and worshiped to the way we honor people here on earth. I'm thinking specifically of celebrity culture. The devotion that a lot of us have to our favorite entertainers is really like a form of worship. We just heard in the gospel that God's holiness is bright like the sun, the gospel of Matthew with the transfiguration. Isn't it interesting that we call celebrities stars? 
except humility doesn't really stick in Hollywood. In fact, the whole point is to, to look directly at these stars. Think of the effort that media companies put into making Hollywood stars worthy of looking at. The press releases, the promotional tours, the exposés, the inside access passes, everything is about the likes, the follows, and the views. It's all about being seen. So unlike biblical holiness, where everything sacred is veiled and mysterious, in our world it's really just the opposite. There's no privacy, no modesty. In fact, if someone's work doesn't get enough public attention, it's considered a failure. What makes a star by our worldly standards is someone who's worth looking at. As soon as that can't be said of them, they're out of the news cycle the next day. But here's Jesus, the God of the universe, in all his majesty doing this. He could blow us away with his stardom, but he shows himself to us in the least loud way of all. He's the smallest thing in this room, even smaller than us. For crying out loud, if you were going to try to grab someone's attention for a bake sale or a car wash, would you even bother making the sign as big as Jesus makes himself now? Of course not, no one would see it. And a lot of people don't see Jesus. They drive right by this church like he's not here, missing him completely. But this is very on brand for him. He came to flip the script and turn our expectations upside down. Nothing with God really is as it seems. He came to make the big things small and the small things big. He certainly did that in my life. Are there any performers in the room? People who studied music in college or theater or anything like that, maybe high school? There's gotta be one. Okay, thank you, good grief. <laughs> okay, well for those two of us who can relate to that, um, theater, music, media, we're trained to be colorful and loud and exciting. No one uh, wants to be entertained by someone boring, right? So performers are people who are not afraid of the spotlight. I studied theater in high school and music in college. For a decade, I regularly performed in productions on stage for audiences. My senior year of college, I got to do what's called a senior recital. This is something every performing arts major does as kind of a last hurrah before they graduate. The idea is that you are the headliner and the performance features all of your best work from your studies through the years. You invite everyone you know, you rent out a theater, and you get dressed up. It's a lot of fun, it's a big rite of passage. The thing is, that same year, my senior year of college, was also a huge turning point for me in my faith. Senior year was the first time I was ever hired to play music at Mass. My job was at Stony Brook University. I would play music at campus Masses, on Sunday nights, which is a convenient time for students to attend. It was a strange and beautiful challenge to my identity at that time, to be performing music during the week at school and to be praying music during the weekends at, at my job. For my senior recital, I'd chosen a mixture of Broadway show tunes, jazz standards, classical foreign language pieces. It took months to rehearse and organize all the details of that performance. And meanwhile, on the weekends, I was going to Stony Brook and I was providing music for the sacraments. So even though I was doing exactly the same thing technically, I was playing guitar and I was singing, it just couldn't have been more different. At school, I was learning how to be worthy of the spotlight, how to engage an audience, how to feature myself, and accentuate my talents. On the weekends, 
I was off to the side or in the back of a dark room like we are here tonight, and Jesus was in the spotlight. Jesus was the star of the show at Mass. In fact, I didn't have to be there at all because Mass happens every day without music. So my job in my eyes was to de-emphasize my talents so that they weren't a distraction because the point of music at Mass is to help focus on God and not me, right? If I was up here singing One Bread, One Body like Mariah Carey, it would be a little distracting. <laughs> I think we all know a cantor or two who doesn't, you know, know the difference, but God bless them. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the first experiences of my playing for Jesus, I felt myself feeling very unworthy to be so close to what he was doing in the sacrifice of the Mass. And the contrast between school and my job was just beginning to affect me in like a beautiful way. So in the spring, as my senior recital approached, I was also playing at different church events in the evenings. One in particular stands out in my mind. When I was asked to accompany a holy hour for young adults in Suffolk County, there was maybe a measly 10 people that showed up to pray that night. Someone came late to unlock the door. It was very haphazard and low budget and unrehearsed. Um, I was kind of squeezed off to the dark on the side of the sanctuary with my little flashlight uh, so that I could read my sheet music in the dark. And it was maybe the most beautiful experience I've ever had playing music, ever. I remember thinking how great it was to be hidden, using my musical gifts but without them being about me or for me. And to offer, um, after the holy hour there was no applause, there was an amen, and everyone just quietly left. And I drove home alone in silence and just remember being so at peace. Later that week, the day of my senior recital finally came. Everything went off without a hitch. People were so generous and supportive. My family stayed after the curtain to congratulate me. And my mom made a beautiful display of programs from all my previous shows and my favorite desserts for hospitality, which was so nice. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. It's something I'll never forget. But strangely, I remember coming out of it a little surprised and literally thinking to myself, I preferred that holy hour. As I reflect on that year of my life, I think about John the Baptist and how he said of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. I think Jesus was teaching me how to trade places with him. I got the sense that God wanted me to step out of the spotlight so that he could be the star of my show. I was actually happier to do that than you might expect. <laughs> like I somehow knew it would make for a much better show if people were looking at him rather than me. I think all of us women are asked to do that with our gifts at some point in our lives if we're being authentic Christians. Music happens to be my gift, but we each have things we get noticed for. The question becomes, how can I direct the attention I get in this part of my life towards him? How can I use this gift to increase God and not to increase myself? This is quite the opposite of pursuing a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Instead, it's really like Mary's Magnificat when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Maybe another reason why Jesus makes himself so small in the Eucharist is because we are meant to magnify him in the world. We have the power and really the obligation to help each other other people to see him better, even though he's small. And we'll, we'll all do that uniquely because we have different feminine gifts. I'm not a mom yet, but I can easily see how every single feminine gift is used for God when she becomes pregnant. 
She literally says to her child, this is my body given for you. What a magnificent thing. Many women magnify the Lord by saying yes to life. Some do so with their financial success. Wealth draws attention of a lot of people, not the least of which are marketers who try to persuade us to have all these creature comforts we really don't need. But how beautiful it is to see someone who's financially blessed living humbly and championing godly causes instead of chasing vanity. That magnifies God. Some women magnify the Lord with their gift of time, especially early in life because they're single or later in life because they're retired. They find they can only binge watch so many reruns of Gilmore Girls before that becomes mundane. And they wind up volunteering as catechists or as um, lunch duty ladies at the local elementary school or they take deeper prayer lives, personally and privately at home. A woman with a beautiful body who certainly could increase herself by being very showy with her outward appearance, when she chooses to dress and speak with modesty, she magnifies the Lord by her virtue. And that's because people are drawn not to the skin on the outside, but to the Jesus on the inside of her. And that dignifies her and sets her apart in a way that's fitting of who she is and what she's called to do. Now, right away, when we speak of ourselves, as John the Baptist does, decreasing so that God can increase, or when we speak of ourselves as Mary does, magnifying God instead of magnifying ourselves, the devil creeps right in and makes us think that this could diminish us, devalue us, as if the lack of applause could be mistaken for lack of importance. For sure, by the standards of the world, small things aren't very important. We do make sacrifices that go unappreciated, and that can make us feel unseen and unnoticed. But the standards of heaven are different. Heaven knows the value of what's little. Heaven veils sacred things. God sees you most whenever you feel least seen by other people. Your husband is not always going to notice when you ruin your new manicure to scrub the pot he left in the sink. Your daughter is not always going to thank you for staying up late to wash her uniform so she can wear it the next day. Some guys in the dating scene are not going to give you the time of day when you have integrity and aren't looking for a hookup. But even when no one else applauds those little hidden actions, God does. When you have an audience of one, and that one is God, doing it for him is enough. When we can learn to embrace that hiddenness, as something beautiful and intimate, and not to resent it, I think that's when we're most like Jesus in the Eucharist. When the good things we do go unseen, we're like him. Why God values littleness is mysterious. He makes an understated entrance in a stable, in a monstrance. But don't mistake the lack of recognition for lack of value. God always flips the script. He makes the big things small and the small things big. People in his time thought it was good to be first. Jesus said, the last shall be first. People thought it was good to be rich. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. <laughs> People thought it was good to avoid suffering at all costs. Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Today, we're really not so different from the people 2,000 years ago. A lot of people say the Eucharist is just a piece of bread. How could something so little be worth changing your life for? We still don't get it because we can't look at the sun without sunglasses. 
When we get to heaven, we will be able to see God directly in all his glory. That's called the beatific vision, and that's what we have to look forward to as saints when we become saints. When we're there, it won't be like looking into the sun because our eyes will be adjusted to heaven's brightness. And we'll also be able to see in truth the value of every single sacrifice we made in this life, which may have seemed worthless at the time. Jesus lived 33 years on earth. Only the last three were seen by public eyes. All the other 30 were spent in secret with who? His mom. We have no record of what happened during that time, but we would never dare say those years were wasted. When we give Jesus the spotlight in our lives, the altar becomes the stage of our story. And we get to be part of something much bigger than ourselves. But it required the sacrifice of his life. And it will for us too. But maybe that's the most beautiful part. If at the end of your life, someone could eulogize you by saying, gosh, really, Jesus really just stole that woman's show. I'd say that's a life well lived. In a couple centuries, the world will have long forgotten Beyonce, Michael Jackson, Billie Eilish, Harry Styles. I don't know any famous entertainers from the time of the Crusaders, do you? <laughs> but we're still talking about Joan of Arc. We're still talking about St. Thomas Aquinas. We're still talking about Peter and Mary Magdalene. That's because when we talk about them, we're really telling God's story, which is never on trend, but it's always relevant. So in whatever way you may be struggling to surrender control, surrender your spotlight, or surrender your idea of how the story of your life should go, I promise you it'll be a much better story if Jesus is the star. So let him steal your show. If you'll permit me, I'd just like to close with a prayer. These are the words of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own, you have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen.